presence. Father, we know that you've given us Sabbath as a day of rest, but we know that beyond the physical rest that our bodies need, we also need mental rest. And so we just ask that as we rest in your presence and enter into your space, as we get ready to take communion, as we get ready to wash one another's feet, Father, that you would do your work within us and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. So I, because it's communion Sabbath, I don't have a full-on sermon. I just have a few thoughts that I want to share with you as we get ready to, to enter into this communion service that we're about to do. So my heart is full. This past week I spent five days, well, four and a half days, eight-hour days, sitting in a classroom learning how to be, I mean, I guess you could say a better leader. And, um, you know, whenever we talk about leadership, everybody has their own definition, their own expectation, their own kind of measurement for what makes someone a good leader and what makes someone a bad leader. And already right now in your own mind, you're saying, like, I'm glad the pastor went to learn how to be a better leader. And in your mind, you're thinking, like, here are the areas I think he needs to grow in because that's what we do. And so I, I'll leave you with this, and then, I, and, then I'll, and then I'll jump into what I was going to say this morning, which I think is a part of, of this. You know, one of the things that I'm coming away with this week from, from school was that the best thing that I can do as a leader of this community is to bring my own transforming self to you. And the concept is that if, if as leaders, myself and yourself, for those of you who are leaders, elders, teachers here at, the, at, the, at church, um, any kind of leader, um, that the best thing that we can do is to, to do the work of transformation in our own selves and to continue the work of drawing closer to God. And the hope is that as we transform as leaders, that the community that we lead will also be about the work of transformation together. And so we spent five days really looking at what are the areas in our lives that continually need transformation. And I mean, I can go into, I, I could speak for hours on this, um, but it is that, that we are on this path and this journey of transformation and that it doesn't just happen individually, but it happens in community. And that is part of the Christian story is that, that even though for so many of us, especially in America, our faith has become so individualistic. You know, there's this expression that says, if you want to go fast, go alone, right? If you want to get somewhere and you just, you, you just go alone, you do your own thing. So if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. That is the story of the Christian faith. But in America and in the Western culture, it's not just America, but all Western culture has become so individualistic, it's become so much about like, well, this is what I want in my life. This is what I need. And we often, even in the church, will hear someone say, you know, I don't even need that person. Usually it's someone that we have conflict with. We say, well, I don't care about that person. I don't need that person. And in my mind as a pastor, it's like, no, but then you're missing the point of what it means to be a Christian and be a part of a church. You know, so there's this passage that I want to read with you, and it's in first, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, all of us here, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. But the, the line that I want us to focus on is, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord. Now, John Calvin, one of the reformers, would say that we see the glory of the Lord at the communion table. Because there is something that is so powerful about the bread and the juice that we're going to take in in just a few moments, that there is something that is so powerful about the symbol that it represents to each one of us. Now, we know that there is absolutely nothing magical that happens when you eat that bread and drink that juice. Let's just be 100% clear. We don't believe that there's anything magical that happens. But we do this to be reminded of what it means that Jesus laid his life down for us. And so many times, and I have been guilty of this, and so I can, I can own this, but I've been guilty of saying, as you're taking this, I want you to sit there and think about what God needs to do in your life. As you're sitting there, I want you to think about the ways that you need Jesus or the ways that you've neglected Jesus in your life. And I've done this, and I've led you often, because it's normal for us, into this very individualistic way of having a relationship with God. But the reality is, when Paul writes about this, he actually scolds people saying, hey, you know, some of you who are more well-off, you get to the communion table first, and you have your fill. You eat until you're full, and then the people who don't have as much means or wealth come to the table after, and they get your scraps. And he says, that is not how you take communion. Like, this is Paul. There's been issues about people not caring about one another for hundreds and thousands of years. Now, the life of faith must begin between you and God, but it must infiltrate every relationship that you have. When Paul writes the word you in the New Testament, it's always in the plural written to a community of people. People didn't have Bibles their whole lives. Like, that's a new thing in the last couple hundred or yeah, a couple hundred years where we actually have translations of the Bible, but for the longest time, especially even during Jesus' time, you would actually have to go to a synagogue, to a church like this, and you would be able to hear the reading of the word communally. And then you would work together and, in a sense, argue sometimes about what it meant. But in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that God comes for the entire house of Israel. It was never individualistic in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in fact, one time of year, on, the, on what we call the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the sanctuary, into the most holy compartment of the sanctuary, and he would atone for who? The entire nation of Israel. It was all for one and one for all. So much of our life of faith is lived individualistically, so much so that we then begin to miss out on the communal aspect of our faith. That's why Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Bear one another's burdens. Weep with those who weep. Like, like we are being called to this together. So when we take from this, if, if we were to ask the, who, who made the bread this, this time, Carla? So when you make the bread, do you, do you cut, like, do you bake them like already cut individually or are they like on large sheets of but, but before they're scored, they're still, you still have to bake it together. See, when Jesus uses the image of bread, he knew what he was doing. When you're taking from a piece of bread, let, let's not even forget the communion table. But yeah, thank you, Carla. When you go to like Spaghetti Factory, if you've been there in a while, what is the thing that they put down in front of you before your meal comes? 
the bread. And, and how is the bread cut? It isn't. You have to cut it yourself. You have to take from one piece. Now, let me do this in the negative. <laughs> if you're a guest, you're like, what's going on? But just go with this illustration. If there is something wrong with that bread, and you eat it, and everyone who eats it gets sick, then you're all kind of our you know, because you've all taken from that same piece of bread. But now if we flip it to the positive, if we are taking from the body of Jesus, each one of us a piece, then we are all being brought together as one. That's why the Bible says that there is one spirit, one Lord, one God, and all of you, by being a part of the church, are actually the body of Christ in the world today. Think about that for a second. All of Scripture is showing us that we are all in this together. We are to care for one another, love one another, forgive one another, so much so that Jesus says, when you go up to give your offerings to a church, and you remember that someone, one of your brothers or sisters, has something against you, he says, stop what you're about to do and go and be reconciled with that person, and then come and worship. But you see, so many times we're just like, I'm coming to church for my own self. I'm here because I need Jesus, and I'm not going to worry about anyone else. And if we have ever said that, that should be a condemnation on our own life of faith. Because when we take communion, what we're saying is we are all in this together. We are a family of God. We are the body of Christ. And we are taking this not just for my own individual soul, but because I want to commit to doing life together with this community of faith. See, communion, although is a symbol that Jesus' love for us would lead him to the cross, communion is also a symbol of relationship with one another. It is a symbol of reconciliation with one another. Relationship is the fabric and the character of God. And, you know, so many times we'll say things like, the Ten Commandments show us the character of God. But I would say that even before there were Ten Commandments, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the co-eternal relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are what show us the character of God. When we leave this place and we go to eternity and we spend eternity with God, what are we taking with us? What is it? Your character. But what, but what, like from this world, what will we recognize in eternity? Nothing except for hopefully each other. I mean, who knows what it'll look like? But think about that. If before the world began there was Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, co-eternal relationship from the foundations of the earth, and all we can know that we're taking to eternity is each other, the relationships that we have and the relationships that we will build, then everything we do as a community of faith must be about doing life together and building each other up and then being the body of Christ and serving the world as one. So when we come to the communion table, it isn't just about what Jesus did for me. It's about what Jesus has done for us. You see, until you can fully understand that your life of faith must include other people, you will go fast, but you won't go very far. And I would love for you to challenge me on this uh, over a lunch. You can invite me to lunch one day, and we can work this out even more. And, and, and I can share this with you. And, and so... You know, and I understand that things happen in churches, and sometimes we have conflict in relationships. 
And I understand that you all are so nice to me, so I understand that I don't have the full scope of how often things work out. But, you know, when, we, you know, when Kara and I talk about the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church, we use words like, that's family. Those are our friends. We love it there. Look, I spent a week with 30 pastors, and a lot of them were, like, sharing horror stories about their churches, like, just difficult times. And I sat there feeling bad for myself, not feeling bad for myself, but just feeling like I don't want to share anything because I actually love my church. So much so that I'll get up at 3 in the morning to get here because I don't want to miss what happens here on Saturday mornings. And we want to get to that. And I know some of you are sitting there and you're just like, yeah, but you don't know what happened between me and this other person. You're right, I probably don't, and, I'm, and I don't feel the same way you feel. But communion should lead us closer to the people we have problems with and not draw us further away. Relationships are central to the story of our faith because it is central to the character of God. The doctrine of the Trinity is ultimately, therefore, this is kind of heady, so just follow. The doctrine of the Trinity, therefore, is a teaching not about the abstract nature of God, nor about God in isolation from everything other than God. But the Trinity is a teaching about God's life with us and our life with each other. If Christ is present today as the church, then the church is God's means of self-revelation to the world, meaning God wants to show God's self through us as a community of faith. If that's true, if it's now, if it's not true, then you can reject what I'm about to read. But if it's true that we, the Bible says, are the body of Christ and we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world and we are to be the message of Jesus, if that is true, then the church is called to live and act together in such a way as to demonstrate God's character. See, church isn't just something we do on Saturday mornings. Now, and I will say, like, this church has done a wonderful job of just trying to be this community of faith that is trying to live beyond these four walls and trying to make a difference in the world. We do it through by the way that we teach our children in Sabbath school to teach them what it means that Jesus loves them and what it means that Jesus wants them to live this life with him and what that means outside the walls of this church. We do that through the preaching of the word, through the Bible studies that happen. Like, like that informs us to then be able to go out. I mean, this church does that through going through the prisons, through feeding the needy. I know we say homeless, but I, I think not everyone's homeless that comes to the homeless feeding, but people who are in need. We do that through going through the convalescent homes, through vacation Bible school, through giving toys during Christmas. Like, like we, we are trying our very best and we are doing a good job. But we know that we can only do these things together. And the communion table is a reminder that we see the glory of God when we come together. In 1 John, it says, No one has ever seen God, but where, God, but where we love one another, God's character is manifested in our midst. Think about that. So much of the scriptures are bringing us closer to each other. The closer you get to God, the closer you must come to one another. And communion, it is a symbol of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice 
to atone for your sins, which means he makes you at one with God. Your sins are forgiven. You are made white as snow. Like communion is, there is nothing between you and God. You, that, that, the chasm, the space that your sins have committed has been erased and you have now been like bridged together with God. That's what communion reminds us. But if we truly understand that even our worst sins and we're not a community of faith that practices confessing our sins out loud. But you know what you've done. You know what you're doing. And yet communion is a symbol that God still forgives the very worst of our lives. If we believe that to be true. It is one of those if-then propositions. If Jesus forgives us and we accept that, that we understand that Jesus forgives our sins then you must forgive those who have hurt you. I'm not saying forgive. There's a whole other conversation. If you're in an abusive relationship, that's a whole other conversation. Please come talk to me. But I'm talking about the daily kind of things of life, especially that happen in the context of a church. If we believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and bridge the chasm that was created by our own sin, then we must, must live that same grace towards those that have offended us and hurt us and spoken poorly of us. That's why our life of faith must be lived in community. It's never just enough to have Jesus, but it must not just be a vertical relationship, but it must be a horizontal relationship. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says this, We who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. Our membership isn't to the Seventh-day Adventist church. It is to one another in the name of Christ. And we are reminded of the words that Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep. And so as we break for our foot washing, and I know this is hard and maybe this isn't for today. I know oftentimes we'll say, if you've, if you've um, hurt somebody, go to them and tell them that you'll wash their feet. But I realize there's probably some reconciliation that has to happen before that happens. There's conversations that need to be had. But I will say this, as we break for foot washing, and by the way, if you're a guest and you're saying, what's going on? Um, at this church, whenever we do communion, we practice what we call foot washing. And there are three rooms that are set up. One is for men, one is for women, and one is for families. And we wash one another's feet as, a, again, it's a reminder, it's a symbol that we are to serve one another. We are here not to be served, but to serve one another. And it's really, in, in a way, as it can be very humbling for us to get down on our knees and wash one another's feet. We do it because Jesus did it on the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper. Jesus, the king of the universe who doesn't have to bow down to anyone, he gets down on his knees, ties a towel around his waist, and then he washes the feet of his students. Which in 2019, we're like, yeah, that's what makes Jesus so awesome. But in, in the year 33 AD, that would have been unheard of. A teacher would never wash their disciples' feet. It would have been the other way around. And so Jesus says, do this to remember that you are to serve one another. Your primary posture of living this life is to live as a blessing to other people and to continually be serving other people, not to seek to be served yourself. 
And so we do this four times a year as a reminder that we are called to a life of service, of surrender, and of blessing other people. And so if you don't feel comfortable, we're not going to make you go, but we're going to break here. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to break here. And you can go and do that, and then when we come back, we'll participate in the communion service. But as we're going through this, and as we come to communion, I want you to remember, yes, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. But then the second part is, what do you want me to do for others? Think about what are the relationships that need to be reconciled? What is the attitudes I have towards other people that you need to just humble? What are the things that I need to do to bridge some of the chasms? And some of you are thinking, well, I haven't done anything, but so-and-so did something, so they need to apologize to me. What I would say is that's the wrong attitude to have at communion. And instead I would say, that person hurt me. I want to go and reconcile, so I'm going to go to them. Because remember, we hurt Jesus, but Jesus is the one that comes to us. So you can't wait for someone to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes you just have to go to them and say, I've been feeling this way. And I don't want to feel this way anymore and, and, and have that conversation. And it may blow up and it may, it may feel like an insurmountable obstacle, but part of living with living and doing life together is having difficult conversations. And I'm happy to be there because it's important for us that we reconcile. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to break for foot washing. Heavenly Father, you truly are a God that has thought of everything. So many times, God, we want communion to be about ourselves and you. But God, we know that the scripture teaches us that although communion is about you and each one of us individually, you are calling us to live in community. So I ask that you would soften the hearts of those who need softened. That you would give each one of us a posture of humility, of forgiveness, and of reconciliation so that when we come to the communion table in just a few moments, it would be a powerful symbol, not only of what you've done for us, but what you're asking us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to break. If you're a guest, feel free to stay or go. And here's what's going to happen. Every room has a number. We're going to go out this door, and the very first room on the right, which is room 100, is for men. And then room 102 is for females. And then the chapel, which is this, this room on the other side of this glass, is for families and couples or, who, you know, so like for mixed, you know. So you can go in there. We're going to do that. And then when we're done there, we're going to come back in and then we'll do communion. If you're a guest, um, don't feel pressured like you have to. But we do invite you to come and do that with us. It's, and it's just between, you don't have to do anything. It's just between you and the person that you're washing feet. Um, but then we'll come back here afterwards. So let's break for that. You know, and we, and we kind of build barricades and walls to keep us away from other people so that we don't get hurt again or so that we don't, you know, so that we just mind our own business. And I would say that instead of, of building bigger walls of isolation for ourselves, that we should make bigger tables to invite more people to this life of faith that God has created for us. And that's what we're doing here with the communion table is building a bigger table so that all of us can participate in the blessing that God has given us.
And so what we're doing here, if you're a guest and this is your first time, or, or maybe you're not exactly sure what we're doing, inside these silver platters is unleavened bread, which is flat bread, and, and um, grape juice. And these are symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus that were bro- broken and spilled for us as the ultimate form of sacrifice for the forgiveness of all of our sins. We know that we could never be good enough to earn salvation, and Jesus knew that, and that's why instead of asking the impossible from us, Jesus does the impossible and lays down his life in the ultimate act of love, sacrifice, so that you could be reconciled to God. And so there's nothing we can do to earn it. We can't be good enough. We can't be holy enough. It's just impossible. Jesus takes care of the heavy lifting of trying to earn your salvation because we know it's difficult, but he does the heavy lifting so that you could then enjoy a relationship with him. And when we live in relationship with someone and we want to show them that we love them, we begin to live a different kind of way. And so instead of, instead of Jesus pushing us towards something better, he is pulling us towards the life that he created for us. And so the life of sanctification, which is becoming more like Christ, is done in a relationship with God, not because we have to, but because we're in this relationship of love with God, we want to live our lives in such a way that everything we do is an act of worship and it is an act of showing God that we truly are 100% in and we want to enjoy the, the life that he created for us now so that we can spend eternity with him as well. So why don't we bow our heads and then um, Ariana will take us through the next part. Heavenly Father, thank you that you in your infinite wisdom and in your abundance of grace that Jesus laid his life down for us as the ultimate act of love. Not just so that we could get to heaven, but so that we could be reconciled and reunited to you. And so, Father, we want this relationship with you and with each other to be everything that's important to us. And whatever you have planned for us for all eternity, Father, we trust and we put our life in your hands. But in this life, Father, we want to live with you and with each other, sharing in love with one another, caring for one another, bearing one another's burdens. And Father, I pray that as we take the bread and the juice in here in a moment, that you would work in each one of our hearts, our minds, and our souls, those things that need to be worked out so that we would be able to experience the fullness of communion. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, let's. Will the deacons please come? As they're handing this out, we, um, we want to remind everyone that we practice an open communion. And if you have children, we invite you to, um, if you don't feel comfortable giving them their own, to just kind of allow them to participate with yours, to begin to show them that what it means that the sacrifice of Jesus means for us. So please feel free to take that. And as they are handing this out, we ask that you wait to take the bread and the juice, um, to, to drink it and eat it, because we'll do that together. But as they're handing this out, I just want to prepare you with um, what we find in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So just sit with that as we um, wait to do this together.
In 1 Corinthians 11.23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. our heads. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this symbol to remind us of what you have done for us, and also a reminder of what we should do for each other. As we live in this community, and we all eat a part of this bread together as your church family. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us that in the same way that Jesus, Jesus took the cup also, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's easy for us to forget that your sacrifice on the cross was a very real event in, in earth's history. Father, we know that it may not have been easy for you to watch as Jesus body was broken and bruised on that cross. But Father, we take this juice as a symbol of the new covenant that you've created for us. We take this as a new covenant of the forgiveness of our sins and the invitation to live life with you and with each other. And so we ask that as we drink this juice, that you would continue to transform us and shape us into the person you've created each one of us to be. And so we ask a special blessing on it now. In your name we pray. Amen. Drink in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus. As we kind of are bringing everything to a close, we've done things a little bit different this morning. And this is a time in our worship service when I would like for us to do what we call the garden of prayer. And um, I know it's a little hard to get everyone up here, so I'm not going to ask anyone to come up here this morning. But as we, as we come together as a church, I just want you to think about what does it mean that Jesus is asking you to live in community within this context? And so I'm going to invite you now, if you're able to, to kneel with us as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that more than 2,000 years ago, you chose something as simple as bread and juice to remind us of the sacrifice that you were about to do. Father, it's really easy for us in the midst of our busy lives and our busy days and all the worries and the anxieties and all the fun stuff we have to kind of put you in the back of our minds and kind of forget. And so it's my prayer for my friends and my family who are here this morning that you would use the communion symbols as a way to be reminded that every time we share a meal together, that every time that we eat, that we would constantly be reminded of the sacrifice you've done for us. And while we do this in a very special way here, Lord, we just pray that you would give us an awareness of your presence wherever we go. I ask, Father, that you would bring healing to the relationships that need healing. I ask also in a powerful way that you will 
would humble each one of us where we need to be humbled and that you would give us the the willingness to engage in difficult conversations with one another so that reconciliation would take place. May we model what you taught us. But Father, I want to pray for those who are struggling this morning who are here. There are people here, Father, who who we don't even have an understanding of the depths of the problems they're going through. We ask that your spirit would come upon them. There are those who are here this morning, Lord, who are dealing with physical ailment, ailment and illness. Father, may you bring them healing. Father, I pray for those who are feeling down, depressed, anxious, that you would bring people around them that would help them and that you would fill them with your spirit. Father, we pray for those who have been rejoicing because you have answered prayers. We rejoice with them because we know that you can do the same for us. But Lord, as we come as a church before you, we humble ourselves and we ask that you would teach us what it means to be faithful to your call so that as people see us as a church, they would know that you truly are a God of love, of compassion, and of kindness and that we would be your witness to our community. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And now the ukulele club will come up.
Let us close with prayer. Thank you, Father, for the gift of communion, for the gift of community, and for the gift of your salvation. So we ask now that as we leave this place that you would lead us, guide us, and allow us to feel your loving presence. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.